Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the Genre Equality Channel. I'm Hitzir. I'm Isa. And before we begin our episode this week, uh, we would like to talk to you a little bit about Asian Nightmares, which yeah. is our first horror audio fiction drama mm-hmm. that we are so proud to host, by, uh, created by our friend Christopher Falk. Uh, tell us yep. a bit more about Asian Nightmares, Isa. Uh, yeah, so uh, Asian Nightmares is something that we've been working on um, with Chris. Uh, and Chris, as you remember, he's been on every Halloween episode we've had in the last couple of years, if I remember correctly. Oh, uh, yeah. So so if that gives you an inkling to kind of his inclinations for what kind of genre stuff he's really into, mm-hmm. uh, that should be it. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we've been working on that for a while. You know, Chris came up with the idea maybe about a year and a half, two years ago, uh, inspired by, you know, stuff like uh, Welcome to Night Vale and No Sleep Podcast. And he just really wanted to um, kind of like start and write his own Asian-inspired um, horror podcast. Uh, so he kind of got got working on that. So uh, Water Corridor, the first episode, is now out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find it on uh, Spotify uh, as well as all the other streaming services. You can always go to anchor.fm slash Asian Nightmares if you want to see all the available streaming services that you can get those from, whether yeah. it's Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts or, or Spotify. Uh, mm-hmm. Additionally, if you're interested and you're somebody who likes to keep these digital copies, you can download the episode. Um, it's free, but you can pay what you want if you want to support um, support what Chris is doing at Asian Nightmares at yeah. bandcamp.com. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I know it's a very long name, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. genre equality has been taken by somebody in Czechoslovakia. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, yeah, uh, which is which is interesting. Um, and if you like what you hear, um, you know, you can check out uh, Chris's Patreon at patreon.com slash Asian Nightmares. Uh, everything mm-hmm. that he's done so far, this is a passion project. Everything he's done is out of pocket. You know, he's been writing uh, an entire season worth of materials and we'll be continuing to uh, release in conjunction uh, with Asian Nightmares uh, over the course of the next couple of months. Um, yeah, so it's a full season and all that. If you want to support him um, with with his hustle and you enjoy uh, horror podcasts, then please yeah. go check that out. So all the links will be made available in the description below uh, on mm-hmm. YouTube and on our Mixcloud. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you can find our links on our our Facebook homepage as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've posted all of them there. The Water Corridor is the first episode. It stars, uh, again, our friend Lian Sutton, also who's the main voice actor, uh, <laughs> who delivers um, uh, a, a stirring, evocative, creepy monologue uh, that will, you know, surely get you to look for, for water stains in your house. Um <laughs> Fantastic episode, and and you know, like I, I'm I'm totally unbiased here because I had no involvement in the production of the episode, unlike uh, my co-host Isa and Chris, of course, you know. So yeah, just an objective opinion here. I thought it was great, and you, and as Isa mentioned, find it on Bandcamp, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, mm-hmm. it's there. Additionally, big news coming up. You already know that we are available on YouTube. You already yep. know that we are available on Mixcloud. We are back on. All the other streaming platforms. Yeah, finally. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Um, 
wherever that you listen to your podcast, you can now find genre equality as well. So mm-hmm. if you find YouTube or Mixcloud to be too inconvenient or it's not your platform of choice, you know, everyone has yeah. a different preference, mm-hmm. uh, go ahead to any platform, uh, type in genre equality and you can find all our episodes there. I've taken the time to backdate everything. Uh, so yeah. you can find everything from episode one to current day uh, everywhere on any platform that you so choose. And we're excited about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, with that being said, uh, you know, all the promos and everything out of the way. Give us a like, give us a subscribe, give us a follow, uh, especially on YouTube because it helps the algorithm there, uh, oh, yeah. definitely. Um, this week's episode, we're going to be delving into the world of FX dramedies, which mm-hmm. I feel like FX is a network, you know, um, with the specific subgenre of dramedies is akin to how HBO revolutionized the TV drama with shows like the Sopranos and Deadwood and The Wire. Yeah. Um, I feel like the FX dramedies, the half-hour dramedy revolution, has been led primarily by this network. Uh, and it has produced several genius-level shows mm-hmm. uh, that are easy to consume because they're all half-hour. They are neither dramas nor comedies. It's hard to pinpoint, hence the term dramedies. Uh, and in, in, the, in the sheer sake of convenience for me, you know, I've, I've always tried to go through my favorite shows, you know, one at a time, maybe one, one every few months, you know. Yep. Uh, in this particular episode, three of my top five <laughs> shows of all time are in here. Uh, and it's, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a cheat, but I figured, you know, why not? They're all FX. They're all really good. Yep. Uh, we'll be talking, of course, about almost the granddaddy of them all, which is Atlanta. Uh, without Atlanta as the Sopranos of the dramedy genre, without Atlanta, there would be, you know, no Fleabag, no mm-hmm. Barry, mm-hmm. no nothing else. Uh, no I May Destroy You. Um, everything stems from Atlanta. Additionally, we'll also be talking about Pamela Atlon's dramedy uh, about Mothers and Daughters, mm-hmm. which, uh, which is loosely autobiographical. Uh, it is called Better Things. Additionally, we'll talk about Zelt Gelfenakis's uh, wow, that's a, that's a mouthful. Zach Galfinikas' uh, show uh, about a very sad clown who failed out of clown college and has to return home to Bakersfield to become a rodeo clown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally, we'll be talking about the latest addition to the Sterling lineup. It's called Dave, uh, and it's about the life and times of Lil Dicky, uh, <laughs> the white neurotic Jewish rapper. Um, and while it's first season, doesn't quite come to the heights of the other three shows that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that towards the end of the first season, and especially right now in its second season, it is it is firmly entrenched right up there. Uh, yeah. And, but 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 we'll, we'll we'll get into that in in a little bit, lah. Um, let's begin first with Donald Glover's and Hiro Murais, who also you know co-created the show, mm-hmm. uh, Atlanta, which is honestly one of the best shows of all time. It is one of the smartest shows in television. I know it's an unoriginal sentiment, you know, yeah. for, the, for, the, for the entirety of its first season, which emerged in 2016. Uh, it, has, it had the marvel and depth of an art house indie film, uh, mm-hmm. and it was regarded as such, you know, uh, but it doesn't make my love for it any less genuine or true, you know. Depending on how you color it, uh, you know, the, the view does present its creator star, Donald Glover, as, uh, as a genius storyteller. Uh, and we already know, you know, he's a great musician as well. Uh, he's won Emmy Awards for this, uh, including Outstanding Lead Actor for a comedy series, you know. Yeah. Uh, Atlanta is one of the most surreal, 
magical <laughs> shows out there that continuously surprises me with his uh, artistic ambition, mm-hmm. its uh, camera work and trickery, uh, and its boldness in storytelling. Uh, it seems ridiculous that such a show is as underrated as it is. And I don't mean underrated in the sense that, you know, it has bad reviews. I mean underrated in the sense that it's not uh, entirely too popular. You know, it's not like yeah. at a at a Game of Thrones, like or Rick and Morty sort of like zeitgeist level thing. Although it should be. Um, sadly, you know, like we haven't had a season of Atlanta for a couple of years now. Yeah. Uh, but the good news is Donald Glover is now filming season three and four. And in fact, they're actually close to uh, wrapping up season three and four shooting at the same time. So mm-hmm. there will be more Atlanta coming up soon. Uh, but in the meantime, let's talk about the first two seasons of Atlanta, which, you know, begins with the story of an Ivy League dropout uh, named, uh, played, by, played by Childish Gambino, a.k.a. Donald Glover, who is trying to manage his cousin's rap music career. <laughs> uh, but it breaks conventions right and left. It veers into surreal asides, uh, abrupt violence, and subplots in, in ways that no one can expect from a half-hour dramedy. Yeah. Um, its second season, especially, I think, is, is, is a step up, even from the first season. It's, it's, a, it's a work of genius, you know. Um, I've long raved about Atlanta, but like, I saw only recently caught up with it. So I think you know, it's better to get your fresher thoughts on this, you know. Um, having seen the first two seasons of Atlanta, uh, what do you think of it? Oh, man. Uh, I, okay, so in, in my memory, at least, like recent memory... Uh, I don't think that we've gotten much magical realism stuff uh, yep. on, on, on like serialized TV anyway, you know. Mm-hmm. And so like watching Atlanta and of course you and Hardy have been going on and on about Atlanta since season one. Uh, yep. So I did manage to check that out uh, not too long after season one came out, but I never really caught up with season two. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh goodness. Uh, I have really, really enjoyed it. Like it is everything people hype it up to be. Right, like sometimes you know when when shows like get a lot of hype, especially when you've got a big name like like Donald Glover yeah. attached to it, right? Uh, Donald yeah. Glover of Childish Gambino fame, as well as, Tro- as Troy from um, the Community, mm-hmm. like that carries a lot of weight. And sometimes it gets hyped up, um, you know, to the point whereby like it's a little difficult to accept the the thing for what it is. Uh, yeah. but I'm very, very glad that I caught up with everything. I mean, like, there are just, just these incredible moments in every episode that stand out at you, either because of their absurdity, either because it's magical in some sort of way, it's emotionally heartfelt, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but or, 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 or it displays a kind of uh, universal kind of, like, realism as to the struggle of, of every day, right? Yeah. And, like, these things combined make for a very, very... Um, it's a very compulsive watch. It's hard to kind of tear away just because like, I think after the first couple of episodes, you get very invested in what Mm. each individual character goes through and you just want to see what kind of nonsense they get up to and what kind of nonsense gets up to them. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so like, I uh, I decided in the end to re-watch the whole of season one Mm-hmm. Going into season two just to make sure that you know I got a I got a good handle on like what happened before and all of that. And I think yeah. like it's very easy to because of how short um it is lengthwise, right? Like it's a good twenty no, it's yeah. a good like ten episodes ish uh per season, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not too long. Um, but it's kind of easy to forget like the breezy sort of things um as we go along. And it's kind of important because there's a lot of throwbacks, right? Like there are inside jokes that you might miss if you're not paying attention uh, to mm. some of the earlier episodes as well. And there are a lot of, all sorts of callbacks and things like that. 
um yeah so if if you're the kind of person that likes this you know like the detail orientedness of the storytelling and how it always is 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 self-referential in that way i I think that atlanta will definitely be on the list of things that you want to check out oh yeah yeah um you know uh going back to season one right um you already had kind of a hint as to the absurdity and the magical realism or surrealism yeah. that happens, you know. Um, and there were episodes that broke format, like BAN, uh, BAN, you know. It was a, a, a one-off episode uh, mm-hmm. in Season 1, Episode 7. Uh, it yeah. follows uh, Ernst's cousin, Paperboy, as he takes a guest spot on a, on oh a late-night talk God. show. Yeah. Um, he is a panelist for both the discussion on race, uh, which proves to be increasingly tedious for Paperboy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also both funny and poignant. Uh, and honestly, one of the best episodes of that year. And and that kind of inventiveness extends to season two. You know, in season one, you already had like kind of glimpses of like ridiculous things like invisible cars and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, which is uh, one of my favorite episodes as well, which is uh, the club episode. But then in season two, you, you go into episodes like Teddy Perkins in episode yeah, six, yeah. Uh, which which uh, doesn't even, I mean, it doesn't feature the character of Ed, but Donald Glover features prominently as Teddy Perkins. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you see you see Darius, uh, played by Lucky Stanfield, uh, heading into a strange man's house to buy a <laughs> piano. Uh, the man who is played by Donald Glover kind of resembles the late Michael Jackson. He has like mm. this bleached skin, soft-spoken voice, and this indescribably eerie feel. Uh, it is a, an exceptional episode of the show and a sublime short film, honestly, that can be watched on its own. Yeah. Uh, because it is creepy, it's horrifying, also it's very funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it gives this almost very elegant treatise on the, on the relationship between uh, genius and abuse or genius and pain mm-hmm. and, and whether it is worth it to tap into that. You know? um, and it's, it's brilliant. There, there's an episode... Uh, about uh, a barbershop, which is a bit more realistic. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's a season two, episode five. Uh, it basically follows Paperboy as he's just trying to get a haircut, uh, <laughs> but his his barber is just too distracted to make it happen, and it's just like this escalating comedy of frustration. Yeah, uh, that makes me very. It made me very upset, like, just watching it, but in in the best way possible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what 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 were your favorite episodes of of Atlanta as you were uh, I mean, rewatching I, it? Yeah. Uh, I I think the club is going to be a perennial favorite, um, just because of Invisible Car, uh, Ben as well, because of Antoine Smalls, mm-hmm. <laughs> who I think is the most ridiculous character. Oh uh, God, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like, given kind of recent news and a lot of uh, transracial people stepping up. And, and announcing yep. themselves uh, very very kind of ahead of its time uh, and, and absolutely uh, ridiculously funny to watch within the context of, of the talk show itself I like the barbershop for sure uh, I, Teddy Perkins is is so surreal like it could exist on an entirely different show and you wouldn't you wouldn't notice it you know like it, it could be I, I wouldn't say Black Mirror but something of that ilk yeah. uh, you know Teddy Perkins would definitely feel uh, feel uh, spot in there i thought um the one about drake's house uh was pretty yeah. funny. um yeah. one of my favorite episodes though and, and something that kind of like uh took an emotional turn that i wasn't quite prepared for was uh fubu i think mm, yeah. yeah season fubu. one right yeah uh fubu is no season two episode 10 Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah the it's, the, it's, it's the finale. Yeah, it's uh, Earn's uh, Turn Towards Darkness. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I really, I really, like, I didn't expect that at all, right? Like, you get a flashback episode every once in a while, like, every, everybody seems to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think I've seen, like, it's such an interesting character study of a young Earn 
and mm-hmm. and how you can kind of extrapolate his experience and trauma there all the way into all the shenanigans that happen afterwards. And like mm-hmm. I, I think that's incredibly smart. Uh and and it, it really, really kind of like caught me off guard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So just some of my favorite episodes, but I mean like some some of them are definitely more memorable than others. But like again, everything kind of has its own kind of standout uh moments, you know, that that remain in the mind. Mm, yeah, you know, I, Atlanta has this knack for giving you what you didn't know that you wanted. It yeah. always, you know, uh, it doesn't quite follow a serialized story, which helps it evoke surprise or delight or puzzlement or horror or anxiety or elation in any given episode, you know. Mm-hmm. Whatever it gives you is different, yet always equal or better than to everything else, you know, whatever you wanted or expected. And, and by this point, we should, I should at least have known better than to expect anything in particular. So Atlanta is best approached with a blank state of mind yeah. with every episode, you know. Um, and, but the thing is, right, the series actually, season to season, has added like a, a sort of thematic true line through each season. You know? For example, mm-hmm. season two was subtitled Robin Season. Uh, and, and, you know, it kicked off with a robbery of a chicken joint, you know, uh, <laughs> that became this almost like close quarters, scary slash funny gunfight, you know, something yeah. out of a 90s indie flick, you know, and, and verbally explained to us that this that these episodes were set up during the run-up to the holidays when robberies were exponentially increasing. You know, mm-hmm. but as the weeks passed, it became clear that this was, you know, a, a kind of a rope-a-dope explanation. The the Robin meant more to Atlanta than than a felony crime and evoked more than just the threat of violence. You know, mm-hmm. the season was about all the different ways in which people can can be can feel robbed or be robbed, you know, of dignity, of money, of autonomy, of safety, and so on, you know. Um, and I think like because of Atlanta, actors like Brian Tyree Henry and Lakeith Stanfield, uh, both have gone on to to kind of mainstream superstardom because of, because yeah. of the show. It's kind of, it's kind of launched them in, in a great career trajectory. And and I mean, Donald Glover was already kind of a big deal before this, so I can't quite say this about them. Mm-hmm. But they all feature like very internalized yet emotionally accessible uh, performances. Yep. Um, Lakeith Stanfield, you know, at times can be a bit of a cipher. <laughs> but I think you know in 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 the in the Teddy Perkins episode, he saw you sort of get through to him because he's not slick, he's not you know disaffected, you know he's yeah. he's 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 scared like in that moment, you know. But at the same time, it's kind of fun to watch him that you know. And and <laughs> I, I haven't even talked about Donald Glover's performance as Teddy, as Teddy Perkins, which was so surprising. I didn't even know it was him until I read all the articles afterwards. Yeah, yeah, I um, I remember reading a lot of news about that where people were just going on and on about it, and I had absolutely no idea what they were saying. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's it, it plays with robbery in so many like uh benevolent and playful ways. And it also, like as I said, robs us about expectations of what a TV series, specifically a TV series about African American rappers or mm-hmm. African American salvinists, you know, working class and poor young people and all those descriptors and combinations. Um, it it does subvert expectations by lingering on moments basking at them at yeah. times you know um, stretching them out into a into kind of like gossamer strands in the manner of an atmospheric art house indie or, or international art, art film you know it's segues from farce to tragedy and back again uh, a privilege i think kind of more afforded to series and movies with like predominantly white casts i mean i've mm-hmm. seen this sort of thing done in, in, in things like mad men and for that sort you know but but atlanta because of his subject matter, uh, it, it was kind of a chimera of a show until you actually got into the feel of it. Yeah. It's kind of built, built as a comedy, but a lot of the time, it's more comfortable with not being funny at all or, or, be, or, or with being alarming or horrifying. You know? and, and, and other times, it's, it's not funny, ha-ha, 
but like funny strange mm. you know and, and portions of it like borders on the experimental it, it, it does so much to take away of, of our preconceived notions specifically mine of how an ongoing TV series should use its core cast you know like usually when you're watching a TV show you know who the stars are and you're therefore supposed to pay attention uh, to them like, you, know, you know who you're supposed to care about you know but yeah. in but with Ern and Van and Darius and Alfred and, and all of them you, know, you never quite know who's going to be the star of the episode and there, and there are some episodes where they don't show up at all. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it sort of builds like this world that is so believable, but still a little off kilter. A bit like um, uh, Donald Glover has described this as like a, a rap Twin Peaks, which, <laughs> which I, I sort of kind of get. I sort yeah, of it's, yeah. not as, it's not nearly as weird as Twin Peaks, but no. it gets there sometimes, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, all in all, like this is why like Atlanta is, is, in, is in one of my top five shows of all time, and it still is, you know? Which is why when I talked about, you know, earlier episodes, like when I talked about I May Destroy You mm-hmm. or Barry or Fleabag, I was always hesitant to put them at like the top of the dramedy list because Atlanta was always there. Yeah. And I, it's been a few years since I've seen Atlanta, but then, like, the impact is still there. But the recency bias, you know, sometimes when I watch the latest season of Barry or watch the latest season of I May Destroy You or whatever, I was like, oh, okay, maybe this is the best show. But then I keep thinking back to Atlanta <laughs> and I haven't seen the, the end of it. And Atlanta is always at the top for me, you know. Like, even, even like, unmemorable, quote-unquote, unmemorable episodes like Alligator Man or, <laughs> or, 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 or Woods, you know, which, like, Alfred, you know, he, he goes through a, a trip through the wilderness yeah. uh, that kind of doubles as an interior journey into, into dream logic and symbols, you know. It's all, like, they're all very different and they're all so creative. Mm-hmm. That's why I think I put, like, Atlanta at, at the top of it. Like, maybe, maybe not for you, but it has to be near the top of the drama list for you as well, right? Yeah, uh, easily, yeah. easily. I, I don't think, you know, I, I've... I've consumed enough dramedies over, over time to kind of like definitively put it at the top, but it definitely ranks up there as one of the first things I'm going to recommend if people talk about that. Again, mm-hmm. like as far as magic realism goes, I, I think this is definitely the best for sure. You know, yeah. um, and, and like, uh, and in that way, it stands out greatly from all the other three topics that we'll be talking about today. Oh, yeah, definitely. It has a bit more in common with Dave, I think. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Especially in season two, more so than season one. Uh, but, like, I mean, the hip-hop theme uh, and the artistry of deconstructing what a rapper is. Yeah. Uh, uh, same, same, but different. Like, because, you know, Dave is more, is more white. But <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Like, but I, yeah, I, I sure. just have to say that, you know, Atlanta is, is a very elegant show. Uh, and it, it almost feels sometimes like uh, both a collection of a short stories a, a short story collection, I mean, mm. uh, and and it's yeah, it's it's very like it's very artistic in that way, uh, and it, it's driven by such talent, talented filmmakers like Donald Glover yeah. and Hiro Murai. You know, if you don't know who Hiro Murai is, he's he's actually directed and or created a lot of uh, the dramedies that we've talked about. He's he's a driving force on Barry as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a driving force on, on on a lot of shows, and Hiro Murai is a great director. He also directed um, This Is America, um, Childish Gabino's uh, music video, so he's very good. And and if you want to know where Lucky Stanfield suddenly popped up from, this... where Zazie Beats yeah. came up from. From where where Brian Tyree Henry came out from, this was the show that kind of discovered them all and like launched them into the stratosphere. And and mm-hmm. the the result is a series that I feel that is still growing and evolving before our eyes. And I can't wait for season three and four. Uh, yeah. I mean, um, any final thoughts before we move on about Atlanta? You know. Yeah. It just shout out to Zazie Beats as Van as well. I don't think we we've talked about her enough. Um, mm-hmm. the the one where she visits her German heritage. I think it's Helen. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, yeah, God. yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, but yeah, like, it's outstanding cast, right? Like, I mean, outside of Donald Glover, again, all of them were fresh faces when this began. Now they're everywhere, all over the place. Of course, Lakeith Stanfield, I think, being the standout a lot. With mm-hmm. the multiple, multiple projects that we have covered that he has been in over the course of the last, like, two age, three years. It's, it's yes. kind of crazy. So, like, yeah. um, watch Atlanta because it's really, really good. And it's, it's I mean, it's good for a reason and it's launched a lot of very amazing talent and put them into other equally amazing projects as well. By the way, I do have to shout out Atlanta because Atlanta was the show uh-huh. that convinced me to watch Bojack Horseman. Really? Yeah, because there was a scene in season one uh-huh. uh, when walking through the mall uh, and then the, the characters are talking to each other about Bojack Horseman. You know, uh, Tracy says to Ern, Oh. This was the quote. Uh, don't get me wrong, it's a funny show. But the yeah. way they dive into depression, especially after what he did to her daughter, I was yeah. like, can you even feel bad for this horse anymore? Yeah. And I was yeah. like, yeah, okay, if Donald Glover loves this show, I will, I will watch Bojack Horseman too. So, yeah. Um, hey, two for out. the price of one. Two of the best shows of all time. Mm-hmm. I, I got because of Atlanta. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah, uh, yeah game, game recognized game. Shows. <laughs> uh, and we've talked about, like, I think Bojack Horseman, like, Multiple so many genre quality at multiple times. You you know yeah. how much we love that show as well. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's still one of our favorites. And it's easy to say that Atlanta belongs right up in that stratosphere. Yeah. Yep, for sure. Um yeah. Yeah. Um Atlanta, one of the best shows of all time, in my opinion, right up there. Uh next up, let's talk about Pamela Atlon's show, uh Better Things, which mm. also coincidentally began in 2016. Uh and Better Things. In, in my eyes, has, has slowly become one of the finest dramedies on television. But it has always been, unlike some of the other shows here, kind of resolutely unflashy yeah. in its brilliance, uh, partly because its subject matter is so contained and domestic. And because in a typical episode, uh, not very much appears to be happening at all. You know, mm-hmm. um, Pamela Adlon, who writes, directs, and stars, has fashioned a gorgeous and loosely autobiographical story about this raspy-voiced single mother, Sam, yeah. who is a jobbing actor and her three daughters uh, living in, in Los Angeles. You know, um, It touches on elements that are at once familiar, like aging, mortality, how women and men relate to one another, mm-hmm. and gives them all new dimensions. Um, I think primarily the show is about how women relate to each other, specifically mothers and daughters, yep. with Sam and her daughters and Sam and her own mother, you know. Um, the show created by Adlon, I think, is one of those first shows that introduced me into the whole, like, uh, naturalistic kind of style of storytelling, mm-hmm. uh, which in 2016, I wasn't, like, quite a big fan of. And and Better Things uh, belongs uh, to me, like, a, a special place in my heart because... It, it allowed me to have uh, to learn the patience yeah. of, of watching a show like this because the rewards oftentimes far exceed short-term gains of like other shows which have you know shocking episodes or mm-hmm. exciting and stuff like that. I mm-hmm. feel like the emotional rewards of, of better things kind of outweigh uh, everything else because it, it feels so worth it. Like, you feel like you get to live in this world with these characters. You feel like you get to know them. You see the messiness of it, the almost frustrations at the near unlikability of most of these characters, but the the depth of humanity that each of them possess once you get to know them. Like. And yeah. the, just the, the sheer, sheer exhaustion of raising children 
the, the frustration and exhaustion and the constant, constant grappling with kids, yeah. you know, it, it, it makes me have a newfound appreciation for uh, mothers everywhere. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've only you've only seen um season one of Better Things uh so far. Uh, yep. but but like uh, up up till season one, what what do you think of it? Oh, I I actually uh really love it. Uh, and, and I I I agree with a lot of things you say. Uh, you know, in in terms of like its approach, its tone, um, it, it its tempo, you know, in which like everything is just kind of laid out. I think like it hits a very interesting emotional spot for me because having grown up in a single parent family, uh, mm. I am I am neither a mother nor a daughter. Um, right, right, right. But there are moments in time that are portrayed, uh, at least from from you know the quarter of the franchise that I've seen so far, that that really really hit kind of close to home. Right, like as as a teenage boy growing up in a single uh, parent family with multiple you know um, children involved. Right. Uh, yeah, myself and my two brothers. So I mean, certainly the dynamic is very different, and it's surprising in that way to learn these kind of things, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, mothers and sons and mothers and daughters. There, there are t- different dynamics in play there as well. Uh, but like so often, right? Sometimes like little little things would just kind of get me off guard, like the little arguments in the car, you know, uh, just kind of like struggling. <laughs> To, to keep things together, you know, um, the, the things that as kids seem so huge and large and important to us um, from a mother's perspective, right, it, it seems so different. And I think like I get reminded of that so often, you know, obviously as I've grown, right, I, I've come to understand the parents' position, uh, you know, even as I see, you know, uh, my brothers and my friends have their own kids and uh, it, it's a vastly different experience from what I remember growing up. And mm-hmm. uh, Better Things captures that perfectly in so many respects. Yeah. You know, and it's very easy because, like, there's, it's not high stakes in, in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it's not high stakes and because you're allowed to see the everyday, kind of like the slice of life of this particular family and the struggles that they go through, um, it's very, you're quick to be invested. Right, mm. because you are not you are not interested in the characters so much so as a kind of like uh, a plot to to heighten the conflict and like pro, uh, progress the story or anything of the sort. They are yep. there as they are, and that in and of itself is both problematic and a cause of conflict. And the resolution of those conflicts are very very well emotionally balanced and have great payoff. You know, yeah. so I am, I am, yeah, I, I've been, this, this was the one that I've been binging most recently. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit sad. I didn't, I didn't plan my time as well enough to like get through as much of it as I wanted to, but like, I'm definitely going to be watching this uh, much, much further into season uh, two to four. Yeah. Um, this might surprise you, but like, in my opinion, season three of Better Things and season four of Better Things are the two strongest seasons of any of the shows that we're talking oh, wow. uh, this week. And and that includes Atlanta. Like, I think that highly of season three and four and it's it's really, you know, uh, what it's really a great experience and, and I think Sam Fox, specifically Pamela Adlon's character here, stands tall as one of the most uh, authentic television characters I've ever seen. Yeah. And Adlon has created this vehicle around her that is unlike anything you'll see out there, particularly for comedies. You know, the writing on the show is probably the best thing about it. It is so uh-huh. smart in that 
but characters don't all sound like they come from the same writing team. Yeah. As you know, as it would happen on most mediocre sitcoms. You know, sometimes I watch. I mean, a lot of the sitcoms I I love like You know, your Brooklyn Nine Nines mm-hmm. and uh, Kim's Convenience and all that. But the way the characters speak, like every single one of them, sound like they're from <laughs> the same writing team. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I think that Pamela Adlon understands that like every one of her daughters, uh, both fictional and and uh, non-fictional, uh, well, she based her fictional daughters on her non-fictional daughters, yeah. um, should all sound like different independent people who don't come from the same mouthpiece. Like, they all have like mm-hmm. different opinions, they all have different depths, different fears, different uh, privileges, you know, and, and things like that. And she goes about to present them as truthfully as possible. Uh-huh. And thereby kind of allowing us to see our own lives reflected in them, despite the fact that perhaps, you know, we don't grow up as like kind of, kind of self, uh, selfish slash privileged girls in, in rich LA. But, you know, like you can kind of see of, you can kind of kind of see the patterns of adolescence in them mm-hmm. just because it's so honest and it's so messy. I feel bad for Sam sometimes. I feel <laughs> bad for the kids sometimes. I feel bad for Sam's mom sometimes, who is honestly like... In terms of comedy, Sam's mom is like <laughs> the shining beacon of comedy on the show. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to like half-hour TV direction, the, the thing that Adlon does here week in and week out is astonishingly attentive, empathetic, and when it wants to be hilarious, it, it rejects the whole sitcom premise that like you need to create, gain as many laughs as possible per minute, you know? Yeah. Uh, the, so the show is very loose, uh, but it's never scattershot. And, and Adlon's directing and writing confidence is is evident in how the camera navigates around the, the Fox home, the Fox family, uh, as well as how the entire series plays to the strengths of its various actors. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know the, the whole created, directed by, and starring thing has been done quite a bit. And Adlon is, is one of them. Uh, you know, uh, is up there with Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Donald Glover and all that. You know, and, and um, Bo Hader. You know, um, Adlon is an actress. Is outstanding. Adlon <laughs> as a writer and director is even better. You know, her, yeah. this this story about raising like three very eccentric, steel-willed, you know, g- girls. You know, uh, boasts some stone cold classic episodes, especially towards the the later parts of its season. Yeah, uh, and and the more as, uh, the the more that you get to know them, mm-hmm. the more that you will feel like these these aren't characters so much as just you are flying the wall watching things happen. Yeah. It is endlessly rewatchable. It's very rewarding. Um, the the more you watch the show, the more you will love it. Uh, and which is why this is one of my um, top five uh, shows of all time, you know. Mm-hmm. Season three and season four is some of the best uh, television I've, I've ever seen. Uh, and it, it's done so in such an unflashy way. I think that's the thing I love most about Better Things. Is. So it doesn't call attention to itself as yeah. much as some of the other shows here. Uh, but it's just a, a nice little funny, empathetic, and a little naturalistic, experimental at all at once. You know, um, mm-hmm. it's it's fantastic. It, it, it's so many, so much of his themes from womanhood to aging is very relatable to me, despite you know uh, not being a woman and not being too old. I'm it it, it calls <laughs> to mind something like uh, Lady Bird, you know, where like yeah. I'm you know where I've never like been in that life, but I feel it at the same time. You know, it's the universal the universality in the specificity yep. uh, that I feel like is so... Uh, that's what makes it such a gem. Uh, very inspired uh, filmmaking and TV making, I should say, uh, in, in this particular show. Uh, and any final thoughts about Better Things before we move on? 
Uh, I'm I'm hoping to catch up with everything by the time season five releases this year. Uh, should be either late this year or early next year. I mean, you know, COVID has like kind of fucked everything. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, cool. I, at least I know I have some time, but definitely, I want I want to see, especially like, you know. Season three and season four, if it's as good as you say, and mm. going into season five, I definitely think I'll need to catch up on that. Yeah, I mean, season two also has like some great moments. There's there's one episode where Samantha, who feels uh, underappreciated by her daughters, as she she is often is, mm-hmm. um, uh, fakes a death and plans a eulogy for herself, <laughs> uh, forcing her daughters to talk about her, pretending that she's dead, yeah. and it's it's actually one of the sweetest moments I've seen on television, mm-hmm. uh, and one of the few moments you know like you know as much as it's frustrating and exhausting it's so exhausting raising children it was one of those moments that makes it feel like you know maybe it could be worth it Mm -hmm. i've never i've never been like a kid person i've never like imagined myself being a teacher or raising children it's not something i planned for my life it's just like a life decision i made early on yeah but better things is one of those shows that kind of makes me feel like maybe like bad exhaustion and the frustration might be worth it Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 yeah, and better things pace that paints that dynamic in an honest and raw portrait, you know, of parenthood and the complicated relationships between daughters and mothers at any age, you know, and it does that wonderfully. Uh-huh. Uh, but there is a confidence to the filmmaking that that takes it uh, above and beyond uh, your average TV show. Yeah, uh, that's my thoughts on better things. Let's move on to another FX series, as I mentioned. Uh, let's talk about. Baskets, which is, mm. uh, I think, easily the weirdest <laughs> show, the weirdest show on 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 this particular uh, episode. Baskets yeah. is uh, created by Zach Galifianakis. It is beautiful and strange and really underappreciated. Uh, Zach Galifianakis plays two roles in this show, uh, primarily as Chip Baskets, which is the main character. Uh, Baskets essentially is a sad, out of work, failed clown. Mm-hmm who goes to clown college in France, drops out, has to go back to his rural hometown of Bakersfield, California, uh, and lower himself to the status of a rodeo clown. Um, It is very unassuming, and it is very, very well done. And I don't know how, because this is one of those shows where like, I almost can't put put my finger on it as well as I can with the other shows. But it makes me... it, it, It moves me emotionally... I think more than any of the other shows here. Uh-huh. Uh, what, what, what do you think about this 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 eccentric little show, Baskets? Oh man, I I, I totally understand what you mean because mm-hmm. Baskets makes you feel so many feels. Yeah, and it's and it's 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 almost like at a breakneck pace, if 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 that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like from moment to moment with uh, with what you're watching. Um, sometimes that emotion that it evokes or it elicits, right, from what you're watching, doesn't yeah. it quite have enough time to settle down mm-hmm. or for you to make sense of it before something else gets thrown your way? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that is not to say that that is extremely fast-paced or, or anything of the sort. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's just the way that, you know, it, it plays out in terms of its, its pacing. Um, mm. To me... And and this is something that I noticed as I was watching through. I, I've only done two seasons, so I can't um, talk about again. I can't talk about season three and season four, unfortunately. Is mm-hmm. that many things you watch on baskets are extremely frustrating? Yeah. Um. To to kind of like sit through, right? Uh. And very often those feelings of frustration don't get resolved in a way that is satisfactory, um, for yourself as the audience member or for the characters. But mm-hmm. that same discontent 
is a large part of the driving force of the characters, uh, especially Chip in particular, and later on Dale, as, as we find out, um, uh, as well as the plot, right? Like just kind of moving everything forward with that uh, is a whole bunch of malcontent. Uh, and that is fascinating in the way that it's laid out over the two seasons that I've watched anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it is... I, I don't know if it's because, like, that persistent feeling of, like, oh, you know, like, the highs aren't as high as you want them to be. The lows are really, really low. And, like, you want resolution for that, so you stick around to see it. Uh, but it's very finely tuned, right? More so than I would imagine uh, a franchise by Zach Galifianakis would be. Yeah. Uh, right? Or, or, you know, obviously of uh, Between Two Ferns. Mm-hmm. Uh, fame and, and a whole bunch of other like comedic stuff that we've seen but like I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure what it is that makes it so compelling and I think that in and of itself is the unique feature of Baskets mm-hmm. um, there are moments in time that are just wrought with like it drips you know the kind of emotional difficulty of you know trying to for example right trying to um resolve what your desires are versus other people's needs, you know, um, your sense of filial piety towards your, your mom who's in a coma and essentially yeah. how she's treating you, which which is a, a kind of like something that's revisited fairly often with this standout performance by... Uh, um, Lou Anderson? Yeah, Lou Anderson. Oh my God. Um, yeah. Just like, it is so... The characters are extremely likable and unlikable at the same time uh, and very very frustrating to watch but they are also very real and very mm-hmm. understandable and very human and uh, they they ask for your empathy as, as a viewer uh, in a way that I think is not as intrusive as you imagine it to be and that, mm-hmm. that's just kind of the 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 mystery about it Right about mm-hmm. baskets and and this strange kind of little family uh, dynamic and and the story that they are weaving. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, Chip is sometimes a sad clown. He's sometimes an angry clown, but very rarely is he a funny clown. <laughs> um, you know, uh, usually when he's not intending to be, like when he gets attacked by one of the bulls at, oh, at yeah. Bakersfield Rodeo. You know, uh, where where he attempts to practice his art. You know, that's only the times when when he's funny. You know, and and this show by Jonathan Krizel and and Zelka is very much a sad clown story, a weird little mm. show, uh, vibrating at a at a frequency that I think only a small subset of viewers are likely to kind of resonate or appreciate properly. Yeah, you know, it, it presents sort of broad comedic concepts. You know, it's it's. There, there are things that you would think that are, are very slapstick or broad, like the like a cross-dressing Louis Anderson who plays Chip's mother, Christine, or the evil twin concept, you know, Zelt Gofanakis doubles his role as Chip, uh, as well as this effeminate, insufferable older brother, Dale, uh, in, in a show that is so understated and melancholy in, melancholy in tone mm-hmm. that it's easier to empathize with the rodeo customers baffled yeah. by, by, by Chip's, you know, sort of esoteric uh, clown routine uh, inspired by his time at a, at a French uh, clowning academy, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, these things like, for example, Louis, Louis Anderson's performance as Christine, as you mentioned, is kind of never treated as a joke, nope. you know. Nope. And the show has only doubled down on the melancholy of it all uh, as, as it progresses, you know. At times, it feels like a series where Christine is the main character of the show. Yeah. Um, and, and, and since the show is named after the family, Baskets, you know, it can work. 
and 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 the, it even emphasizes that because sometimes it puts you know a chip on his back by yeah. uh, or, or on the show's back by not that chip struggle to find his place in the world uh goes uh goes away or or, or doesn't have prominence you know it, it's always prominent in there but his struggle and Christine's struggle and Dale's struggle all kind of go hand in hand with each other yeah um and and, and remarkably both of them kind of grow quite a bit as you the more you watch them you know um you know chip has this kind of this hobo odyssey in season two uh <laughs> that, that that ends in, in in tragedy you know and and christine through meet, meeting uh her new love interest ken and, and yeah. dealing with the death of her mother and all of that you know it, it allows each character to grow season by season in a very natural way you know um yeah it's it is essentially a comedy about a bumbling clown who doesn't understand why no one likes him mm-hmm. but he has very gradually and quickly and gracefully morphed into a drama about a woman getting a chance to live uh, to truly live her life for the very first time yep. in her 60s you know and a man who's only starting to figure out life after wallowing on society's bottom rungs for a long time and and it's affecting because of that um the seasons all do very impressive and poignant work Mm-hmm. With the characters, with Christine, with Ken, with Chip, maybe not so much with Dale, but the the primary three of Vela, you know, it's yeah. it's great. Um, are you at the point where Christine has met Ken yet? Yes, I am. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm just slightly past that actually. So their their relationship is growing. Nice. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ken is such a nice guy, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it makes such it's such a strange dynamic. It is yeah. so strange. Like it's oddly sweet. Um, you know, in moments and very, very tender. But then you're reminded that Christine is absolutely can be a monster, right? Yeah. And you're just like, oh God, can no. Yeah. Um, you know, and you're so worried for him. Uh shout out to Martha Kelly, who who plays Martha Brooks as well. Yeah, like, yeah, I forgot about she, her. She's a saint, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, she, not the brightest, the brightest bulb. Um, but oh my god, she's a saint. I cannot believe the things that she puts up with. Very, very honestly, she should just walk away. For sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, it, yeah. It's absolutely just like nuts, right? And it, it's just like sometimes just plain disrespectful the kind of like things that she has to go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really, really feel for her. But like her presence there is... The, she's the only normal person. <laughs> yeah. In, in the, well, outside of Ken, like, she's the only normal person that we see frequently enough in the show to just kind of feel sad for and sorry for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, cause she's the only one that doesn't deserve anything that she gets um mm-hmm. coming to her. So like shout out to to Martha Kelly for like an amazingly I, I don't know how, how to characterize her performance exactly, but like man, I feel I really feel for her. Oh hundred uh, percent. Martha feels like the ultimate underappreciated ride or die. Um <laughs> and she is like straight ride or die with, with Chip, although she shouldn't be. Oh my no, god. It, absolutely not. That it is... makes me sad. Like, but she is kind of the the bedrock for Chip and what helps him grow eventually. Yeah. Uh, so I guess that's kind of what he needs. But man, she really does deserve better. Poor poor <laughs> Martha. Uh yeah, you know, um it's it's such a beautifully melancholy show and it kind of gets more solemn and strange and sad and sympathetic and, and singular yeah. with its richly poignant seasons as it goes on. You know, it's it's clownish, but not in the way that you think it is. Uh, and it continues to provide laughter and pain in equal measure all the way right up to the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's a great show. And and one of those that also that I can't wait for you to finish as, as well. Uh. Yeah. Um, yeah, any concluding thoughts on Baskets before we move on? Yeah, definitely. I'm really keen. I'm too invested now to stop. But at mm-hmm. the same time, I feel like Baskets was one of the things that took me a bit more time to get through. 
Because yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's tough. Uh, it's emotionally draining sometimes, right? I, I think there were particular episodes where I just I just had to pause and I'm just like, okay, I, I need a break from this for like a day or something before mm-hmm. I continue. Because there's a lot to process, right? Just in, in terms of the amount of, 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 of feelings that you have to deal with watching this, right? Uh, yeah. you, uh, all the characters in the show are very... They're emotional and those emotions come across very, very strongly. And if you're any sort of like em- empathic kind of like personality, it is quite affecting um, mm-hmm. to be able to do that. So definitely, I-, I do plan to finish this. It is definitely a lot more difficult to watch than any of the other shows. I think like Dave is an easy watch for sure. Atlanta is yeah. much easier, like mm-hmm. especially because it-, it appeals to me on a aesthetic kind of intellectual level. Maybe le- it's not as emotional as, as this or better things and I think better things just because of its tone uh, mm-hmm. and the normalcy <laughs> that it presents mm-hmm. is, is widely different so definitely gonna power through the rest of it you know but mm-hmm. I, I know that uh, it's gonna take me some time just to kind of like really you know um, not lose interest and not get oversaturated by by the work that Baskets is uh, oh yeah yeah, yeah to kind of definitely uh, watching Baskets live, you know, from from season one, from its its start in, it, wow, 2016 also. Oh my god, 2016 was like, this is like the year, you know, year? That, yeah, yeah, that 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 FX like debuted all these like amazing dramedies. But anyways, much like Atlanta Baskets and Better Things, they kind of have like very irregular seasons. Sometimes they appear like nine months after the season ends, and sometimes uh-huh. it's like three years, you know. Yeah. So they're like big gaps in between, and I think like that kind of helps almost right. with a show like Baskets. You know, you you get yeah. to kind of percolate with what has happened before before you gear yourself up for a new beautifully sad weird season mm-hmm. uh and and kind of binging them uh, binging shows like this actually it's not advisable i wouldn't it's, recommend it yeah take yeah. it for me uh it, it's just been it's been a fan it's been a while kind of ride the last like month or so uh, <laughs> yeah especially especially with baskets and with better things right like as yeah. much as i want to as uh in particular baskets like I, I want to like see where is this going to go and all of that. There are just days that I, I can't, mm-hmm. um, you know, because it's, it's, it's so strong, highly strong in that manner. Well, some of the episodes are at least and, and it, it really does take a while. So uh, if you are interested in watching Baskets in particular, maybe to a lesser and uh, better things, mm-hmm. um, you know, pace yourself. Uh, pace yourself. Unfortunately, I didn't really have the, the luxury of that uh, mm-hmm. while preparing for this. Uh, for preparing for this episode while we're talking about it. Yeah. Uh, but I would definitely recommend it. And, and with any kind of long-standing series that you watch, if you need to take time, please take mm-hmm. the time to watch it. There's no rush. Oh, 100%, you know. Uh, yeah, and that was it for Baskets. Let's move on to our final topic mm-hmm. and the latest addition to this series of sterling dramedies that FX has produced comes to you from the mind of Dave Bird, a.k.a. Lil Dicky. Yeah. Um, Lil Dicky straight up, you know, before this show came out, right? I think we all kind of know who Lil Dicky is because, you know, yeah. of his incredible freestyles that have gone viral uh-huh. uh, on, on YouTube and, and whatnot. You know, he's on, like, all these various shows, dropping, like, some of the most layered rhymes I've ever seen yeah. uh, or, or heard, you know. And, and when he, I heard that he was, you know, making a dramedy TV show, you know, trying to follow in the vein of, of a Childish Gambino. I kind of wondered whether he was uh, stretching himself beyond his niche, mm-hmm. beyond what he can do, yeah. you know. And at first, 
that really came to be. Like when I first started watching Dave, <laughs> I thought I thought I thought it was like an okay show. Like it, it, yeah. it never it never crossed into bad or average. You know, yeah. it was a good it was a good show that had a lot of like bro humor, a lot of toilet humor, a lot of dick jokes. You know, as his uh, name obviously implies. You know, yeah. and I kind of like uh, dismissed it after after four or five episodes. I was like, yeah, this is a solid show, but it's never gonna kind of rank up there with the best of the best. You know? Yeah, but as the show keeps going on as the show keeps digging deeper into Dave and deconstructing his neurosis mm-hmm. his selfishness mm-hmm. his delusions of grandeur that's when the show becomes on a level of an Atlanta or the better things or baskets you know yeah uh, and, and that's how self-aware Dave is you know uh, in in making his own personality so unlikable or, or dislikable yeah. um, and it's really good and, and the first episode that really brought to mind that the show can be more than just a series of like dick jokes is episode 5 or 6 in season 1 which featured uh, Gaeta's uh, bipolar disorder oh uh, Hype Man Hype Man Hype Man yeah that, yeah that was the first episode I was like okay the show has more to say yep yep and yep. it's doing and it's doing so very very well did you have kind of the same uh, trajectory or feeling as I did Yes, going into Dave. pretty yeah. much, pretty much. I mean, like, for, again, you know, fairly familiar with, with like, Little Dicky and his uh, musical career, uh, so mm-hmm. to say, like, over the years and all of that. I think, I think you know, we've watched a number of his videos uh, when he first came out and it kind of made a splash and all of that. So, I I thought it was part, the first couple of episodes, just like you, was kind of par for the course, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, man, like, once we get into to kind of Gata's story and, and the bipolar disorder and the way that's framed and understood and mm-hmm. portrayed, I, I was just like, okay, now I need to pay attention. Like, this is the point in time where this is getting serious. And if mm-hmm. I don't pay attention, I'm not doing myself all the serious justice. Uh, and yeah, Hype Man was definitely that, right? Like, I think I can point to the exact moment in which that happened for me and it's when he's asleep on the couch while we're at rehearsal. And yeah, the entire yeah. conversation that unfolds after that, I'm just like, okay, there's something special here. If they yeah. can keep this up, this is going to be phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, what do you know? <laughs> it it yeah. just goes from strength to strength from there. I mean, I don't think Dave is as evenly distributed in terms of its its magical moments as the other three series that we're talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. There are some pacing issues here and there and all of that. And it is buffered a great deal by so many slapstick, dick joke, toilet humor things that there are moments in time where it's kind of a turn off mm-hmm. because it aspires to more. And oftentimes mm-hmm. it does hit that, but not always. So it's yeah. it's sometimes frustrating to kind of watch uh in, in that kind of manner, right? Like mm. there are moments that are like, oh, that was so good. And then the next moment you have, you know, uh having diarrhea on a hike and Yeah. 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 Some yeah, of those very, other things. Very, very big, like on scatological, almost like, you know, like those early two thousands kind of MTV kind of shows you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean there's obviously a very kind of big, like, you know, throwback to, to that kind of uh humor and 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 content. Yeah. Um, generally speaking. But like Dave is is surprising in so many ways, right? Mm-hmm. If nothing else, you know, um just yeah, it Dave is very much like Little Dicky's music, right? Yeah. It is uh, parody and and slapstick and funny uh, and nonsensical on its surface level mm-hmm. but if you take the time right yeah. there are layers within layers within layers that you can uncover from the story that he's trying to tell here and mm. I think that's brilliant it's not as polished as Atlanta 
right? No, like it doesn't right. have that kind of like aesthetic vision or that philosophical bent of of exploring the experimental side of the medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't need to, right? Like it's enjoyable for its own sake in in many respects. Uh, but just like these really really special moments that stand out, and you're just like, okay, like there there's something here that that's worth shouting out about. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You know, like um. The Gita episode in particular was, was such a smart and empathetic and, and yep. poignant moment that, that it, it kind of elevates itself above above that. Like. And as the show continues, especially later on towards season one, particularly with, you know, there are some like jokes that really, really hit, you know, like <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the wooden, the w- wooden shirts. Shirt? wooden shirts like yeah. it's 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 on a level of like the invisible car for me like whenever yeah. i think about it i laugh yeah yeah, yeah. and so, like it is it is really dope I, w- I won a wood shirt yeah it's it's so insane um sauron is is my favorite character on the show yeah. <laughs> it's unfortunate that these like precocious absolutely confident kid yeah. Right, he's just walking around with like a stack of G's and <laughs> just like, <laughs> owning all the adults within his space, and, and I think that's kind of brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah, that that to me is 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 a, a definitely a standout moment in as far yeah. as the comedy goes. Yeah, uh, and 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 not to say like the first half of the season was like weak by any means. There are a couple no, no. episodes that that are strong. I think in particular episode three was the first time I really laughed out loud in the show. You know when when um Ali is trying to get uh Dave or or, or Leo Dicky um yeah. to be more sexually adventurous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and like there's a gag at the end of the episode involving like the garage door and yeah. your housemate walking in. It just made me laugh very hard. It was uh, so good. Uh, and his whole neurosis is hilarious, you know. And and the, the trajectory of his relationship with Ellie actually, I think, is like the defining emotional arc for 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 Dave. For sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly with with episode nine, you know, when when Dave accompanies Ellie to her sister's wedding at Napa Valley. Yeah. Uh, and and kind of Dave kind of feels to be mentally or or emotionally present for Ellie when he's distracted by a potential career move, you know. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Dave eventually accuses Ellie of having no ambition, which le- kind of leads to their breakup like, right yep. at the end of the season, you know. Uh, I mean, there were a couple of moments in, in that episode, particularly the fight, particularly with the callback to them doing the autotune, the toe back and forth <laughs> in the beginning and stuff like that, yep. uh, which continues to be called back to in season two, by the way. Uh, it, it's, it's very well done. Mm-hmm. And then you get into the finale of season one where oh. Dave is... When Dave is trying to put out this like very long offensive <laughs> track about prison as his first single, you know, it's like this ten minute thing, and like yeah. the first six minutes, and you see, you which are played uninterrupted, you know, uh, and which made me think like the whole episode was gonna be a music video, right? Yeah. Um, and, but it, it plays this whole thing. I'm like, where the hell is this going? It's kind of funny. It's kind of clever. But where the hell is this going? You know. Yeah. And then the the point of that was that a lot of people turned off the track, especially the executives, you know. Yep. Before Dave got to his point. You know, mm-hmm. which kind of that that track represents in a meta way the season of of Dave. You know, yeah. Like if you just have a little bit of patience to get through this, you know, you you kind of get to the point at the end, uh-huh. and it, it and it is kind of worth it. You know, like the breaking down of Dave's narcissism, uh, and delusions of grandeur was the point of of Dave. Like, but to get to that, you have to sit through Dave being narcissistic. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and and that song was kind of a a metaphor for this. You know? Um, and I thought it was so brilliant the way that he was able to uh, lay that level of meta upon already a meta show about his life. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. For sure. Uh, well, what do you think about that, that track at the end and the finale and how season one ended? I I, I think um, it, okay. If anything, season see the season one finale right was some of the most like 
boundary pushing as far as yeah. like Dave goes, right? It was definitely the most boundary pushing. It caught me off guard. I was completely surprised by that. Right, sure. They gave us, you know, talk about mental illness and like kind of managing that within within um this very strange kind of like singular experience of being a rap artist, right? And, and as, aspiring to the, that kind of greatness that's there and the whole industry that that surrounds that. Um, but like the storytelling in jail and the way yeah. that it plays out is like that's Atlanta level stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right, in my opinion. And uh, I was like, okay, okay. That made me super excited to be to go in for season two. I think mm-hmm. like if it didn't end on that kind of note, especially with just kind of like like I am I am very, very invested in Dave and Ali working out. Uh yeah. you know, and with the breakout, I was just like, oh fuck, fuck you, Dave, seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but like with um, the the way that the finale ended, right? It was just like okay, I'm I'm halfway through what the entire franchise has out at the moment. Uh, this is great motivation. If they can give me more of that in season two, I'm down. I'm totally down with that. Uh, uh have you seen any of season two? I am. Let me see. I think the last one that I finished was the one after Kareem, the mm. Bar one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do have to say that season two, episode one, International Gander in Korea, yeah, is I think like the height of like uh farcical comedy that Dave has ever done. Yeah. Because it's just it just keeps getting messier and messier. Yeah. It was like um season two, episode one of Fleabag, where you just kind of want to turn away and like you want to watch. <laughs> it was so uncomfortable. Yeah. But so funny as well. You know, Dave. Dave is in Korea. Obviously, he's trying to make a music video of CL. He was a presenter at a at a Korean <laughs> award show, and then he just keeps. Like sticking his foot in his mouth, like more and more. Yeah, Gata is uh, not the, helping at all. Gata is not helping. <laughs> um, the the intern that they brought over from America gets called up for national service in the middle of it, and he didn't know. Um, we find out that Dave doesn't have an album, and he's been pretending to be writing, and yeah. he just has like this case of writer's block. Uh, this is whole international incident. He offends CL, uh, with his cultural appropriation, and yeah. and all of that is just so insane, you know. Um. And when there's some episodes here, especially in the first half of the season, that uh, gets to that heights of like sur- surreality, yep. you know, like for example, the, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar episode <laughs> was so bizarre. Yeah. And just the, the way that he just like, Kareem lets uh, Dave uh, put, uh, he just like gets rope <laughs> for, for Dave to tie himself with, you know? Yeah. And the more Dave keeps talking about how he's not cultural appropriation, he's not culturally appropriating, mm-hmm. like the more he is and the more he, he obviously is, right? Yeah. And then like, it leads, it leads to like this insane compound fracture that they, sh- they, they show with, with Kareem being stuck in a toilet. It was, it was one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen, but it's very Dave. Uh, that, yeah. that Kareem episode was like the most Dave I've ever seen, yep, you know? Yep, yep. And then, but it also shows like with season two, like the more, the more success that Dave has, the worse he becomes, you know, with his neurosis, mm-hmm. with his selfishness, the more he alienates his friends, you know, uh, else especially, you know, who's oh, just yeah. like, done with him. I think Bar Mitzvah, at least, they kind of like reconnect there. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. else is just like, you know, like, fuck this guy. La. Yeah, uh, totally yeah. understandable, right? Like, honestly, he, yeah, uh, again, right, a toxic friendship with, with everything that's kind of going on. Uh, yeah. Bar Mitzvah was, was touching, uh, I I can see some healing going on there, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But still, like, oh man, Dave is such an asshole. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But but still. Uh. While we're talking about Els, actually, I just want to talk a bit about Els and and Emma's relationship, which is one of the more heartfelt, mm. normal 
understandable relationships and characters within within, <laughs> within, within the, the show. show. Yeah. yeah, and I, yeah. I thoroughly enjoy just like the little moments that they kind of get with the, their banter and, and the to and fro uh, mm-hmm. or the little dance that they have with the wood, the wood t-shirt and, and stuff like that. Like, yeah. I, I really enjoy that dynamic within the absurdity of everything else that surrounds Dave. Mm. Yeah, that's like it's a, it's a little kind of safe haven for like, you know, normal things and understandable human things that aren't like drowned out by uh this man's like combination of neuroticism and ego at the same time. Mm. And uh it, it's refreshing every once in a while to visit that. Yeah. Um, you know, amidst all the craziness that's going on. Yeah, yeah. Um Donald Glover has said a lot that Atlanta was inspired by two particular shows. Donald Glover has uh, credited The Sopranos and mm-hmm. Twin Peaks as his major inspirations for Atlanta. Yeah, and you can you can you can kind of see that like, on the mood board of Atlanta. Right? I see The Sopranos <laughs> and I see the Twin Peaks ish of of Atlanta. Yeah, with Dave though, Dicky credits. Uh, curb your enthusiasm yep. is his main like inspiration, and the cringiness of Dave really mirrors curb your enthusiasm. Oh, I mean, yeah, in, especially sure. in particular with the uh, the whole narcissistic Jewish genius <laughs> man yeah. child aspect mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it's very good. Um, the second half of the season stuff that you you have to look forward to. I mean, the next episode that you're gonna watch is Dave matching with Doha Cat on 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 a on a dating app. Oh yeah, I saw uh, like a couple of minutes of that. Um, yeah, yeah. The whole show is told. Uh, the whole episode is told by a text, and it's quite inventive visually. Yeah. Um. You know, there's a subsequent episode uh, called Ad Man, which flashes back to Dave back during his ad agency days. He was uh-huh. in an ad agency with uh, with Emma back in the early 2000s, uh, and it really grows to show the growth of his narcissism. Mm-hmm. And and that that is the point where Emma is sort of like done with him. You know, yeah. um, the most recent episode enlightened Dave. Uh, episode 9 is the most, I think, experimental, which was this week, uh, which is the most kind of experimental yeah. Dave has ever been. Uh, Dave is dropped by his label. Uh, you kind of see it coming because he doesn't have an album, right? Mm-hmm. You know, So he goes to Rick Rubin's house to uh, to get Rick Rubin to to help produce him. But Rick Rubin has this like very weird, very zen <laughs> uh, kind of way of deconstructing Dave. He makes him, he kind of mind fucks Dave to kind of strip Dave's ego. Yeah. Uh, and the majority of the episode is told uh, inside Dave's mind, very like Charlie Kaufman esque, uh-huh. uh, and and it kind of leads at the end to a to a sort of a, a physical battle and a rap battle between Dave and his ego uh, oh. inside in, in, inside inside his brain, which is very very good, and and it really exposes, uh, strips away and deconstructs all his narcissism, his delusions of grandeur, why he resorts to scatological humor and toilet humor so often mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. defense mechanism, uh, because he is so insecure, right? You know? Yeah. Uh, that was one of the best episodes that Dave has done, you know. And and much in the trajectory of season one, as you get towards the end of season two, you start to see the artistry like go go full swing once again, uh, and and yeah, that, that's what I really love about Dave, and that's why I think like season two is starting to like get up to the level of the other three shows uh-huh. that uh-huh. we are talking about, uh, yeah. But I mean, Dave isn't quite there yet. Yeah. But like I, I see like there are moments in Dave where it does reach those heights, uh-huh. and and as soon as it like it kind of clicks and it does that consistently, then then it belongs up there. Mm, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm curious. I'm I'm really really curious, um, if it can reach that those heights, uh, and how it will reach those heights because Dave is unique, right? In in the in, of the four things that we've talked about today, all of them are very different in their own way. And and, mm-hmm. and Dave is unique, and I'm really interested to see where it goes. As far as you know, how some of our favorite uh, uh, dramedies are done, right? If we're talking about Fleabag, we're talking about Barry or Atlanta, and all of that, like they're all very distinct kind of creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's always fascinating to see how they go about achieving this 
this level of, of, of storytelling that endears us to it. And like Dave, Dave is getting there. Um, yeah. But we'll see. We'll see. I, I have a feeling it's going to take maybe a season three to kind of like coalesce that. Yeah. Um, their, their place within that strata of, of storytelling, but we'll see. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely, you know. But yeah, it 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 does have like those moments of genius and I I think like once it clicks, it will definitely be very good. And towards the end of season 2, it, it really clicks. I think like the last 3 to 4 episodes of season uh-huh. 2 that I've seen are, are phenomenal. They are the Atlanta level. Uh, it's just a matter of like making, you know, 10 straight episodes of that and and then it can be considered like a genius level show. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 a good show. It's a very good show mm-hmm. uh regardless of that. Yeah. So those are four FX dramedies that we wanted to highlight here. Yep. And, the, and the, the best news is that, like, you know, Singapore doesn't... Actually, Singapore does have FX if you have cable. You know? Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, like, you know, with the cable shows, they kind of come, like, a year or two late. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the cable schedule. But thanks to Disney Plus Singapore, oh, yeah. you're able to stream Atlanta, Better Things, Baskets, and Dave easily at a simple click. Yeah. Because uh, if you didn't know, Disney owns everything. Disney... Uh, a couple of years ago, we talked about <laughs> this on Genre Equality. Yeah. Disney bought Fox, which owns FX. Uh, FX puts all their shows on Hulu, mm. which coincidentally, Disney also bought. Uh, so because um, the FX streaming service and Hulu streaming service are not available in Singapore, they figured, you know, let's just put these shows on Disney+. Plus. Yep. And if you go to the star section of Disney+, Plus, that's where you will find Atlanta, Better Things, Baskets, and Dave. And a whole, a whole lot of other great FX shows oh, yeah. as well. As well, you know, um, if you're not, you know, uh, caught up with stuff like uh, the Shield or the Americans, you know, the FX has actually a good, solid list of of uh, prestige dramas that ranks up there with uh, The Sopranos or The Wire and yeah. Mad Men and things yeah. like that. You know, particularly sure. The Americans, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, those are the four shows we're talking about this week. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks to talk about the malleability of the Western genre. <laughs> um, I will be comparing and contrasting one particular movie, which is Tombstone, which stars Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer. Because uh-huh. um, I, I feel like Tombstone represents the peak of a uh, revisionist, classic, macho uh, style of the Westerns. Yeah. You know, the whole like almost unrealism superhero aspect of Westerns. Mm-hmm. The, or- the original superheroes of American uh, storytelling were, were Western heroes. Uh, and, and I thought like Tombstone is the peak of that and I'm going to compare and contrast that with other westerns that subvert that genre particularly Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven yeah. um, if Tombstone was revisionist Unforgiven is almost cruel in its realism and its harshness um, The Searchers totally flips on the idea of the heroic cowboy fighting the fighting the evil Native Americans mm-hmm. uh, by portraying the heroic cowboy as the villain well not not at first uh, as the villain. Yeah. It presents it as a hero at first. And then like as his obsession and his hatred and his racism comes to a fore, you start not liking him. Uh, you know, and it's such a especially for a movie in the fifties. Mm-hmm. It was I, I think like pretty revolu- revolutionary. Uh and as well, you know, as I mentioned, you know, Westerns were the, the initial pulp fiction, the first comic books, the first superheroes of American storytelling. And none no figure looms as large as the bandit Jesse James mm. uh, in terms of the, the, the original celebrity culture of Americans. Uh, and the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford starring Brad Pitt and Casey Affleck deconstructs celebrity culture in the context of Westerns 
And I think that's like so interesting. And yeah, and that's why I wanted to talk about uh, Westerns in our next episode. Uh, and of course, you know, uh, genre equality will be back at the beginning of next month. Uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of big titles, you know, in mm. particular. Uh, man, I, I kind of forgot. What, what's the big one coming? Oh, Rick and Morty, of course. Yeah. You know? So we're talking about Rick and Morty. We're going to talk about the Suicide Squad. It's been getting a lot of hype. Yeah. Uh, we will also be talking about what else? Well, covering a uh, new season of Legends of Tomorrow, new season of yeah. Tokyo and Birdie, um, the, the uh, Free, Free Guy. Guy is uh, the new Ryan Reynolds movie that's out in cinemas right now. Yeah. Um, a lot of big kind of blockbusterish. Uh, I, I I suppose I can't say blockbusters since they aren't breaking the box office. Uh, mm-hmm. particularly because. You know, <laughs> COVID and all, but yeah, Free Guy and Jungle Cruise and stuff like that are out there. Um, I saw us going to be talking about the latest anime season, yeah. as well as The Witcher Nightmare of the Wolf. Which, which I'm very excited an, about. Mm-hmm. Uh, an anime one-shot OVA, I don't know what to call it, uh, <sighs> based, in, based in the Witcher uh, universe. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess it would be an OVA. I'm not, I'm not too sure. I mean, obviously, they're not following your standard anime conventions mm-hmm. here. Uh, yeah. But yeah, highly looking forward to that. Trailer looks dope. Uh, I think it's out in like two weeks or so. So I'll be I'll be watching that as well mm-hmm. as uh, the whole slate of what we've gotten for this new anime season. Um, yeah. yeah, we will dive into all of that. Yeah, I hear that. Unto, uh, I hear that this season isn't as stacked as last season. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a comparative problem, right? Like mm. there are some good ones here and there, but just like you can't beat like 18, 18 great, uh, eighteen good you know, anime and like four amazing anime in one particular season and yeah. then you only get like drips and drabs here and there which are highly mm-hmm. inconsistent and nowhere near the level of your like To Your Eternity and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a little disappointing but you know, I mean like it's it's life. <laughs> That's the way it kind of rolls like every once in a while something special will pop up. Uh, but yeah. I, I, I do feel spoiled by the spring season. Um, yeah, same. Yeah, so, oh well, well, we'll see how it goes. Uh, some of them are getting interesting going into like fifth episode or so, so it's not too bad. Uh, okay. But we'll dive into that when we get to it. Oh, definitely, you know. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, once again, give us a like, follow, and subscribe yeah. on YouTube. You can also find us, if YouTube's not your thing, you can find us on Mixcloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, all the various other things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we're finally back up there. And do check out Asian Nightmares by Christopher yeah. Falk. Uh, episode 1, The Water Corridor, is up now. Yeah, yeah. Look forward to more original content coming your way, guys. Uh, we... Yeah, we're just expanding what we're trying to do, right? Like, we started out as uh, a podcast just talking about genre stuff, and now we are expanding into a channel that also does genre stuff. Mm. Um, so you can look out for that. Definitely, you know. Um, till next time, this has been Hit Zero. I'm Isa. Uh, goodbye, guys. Ciao.